0: You are listening to a podcast from the UAB School of Nursing Health Network. Good afternoon and welcome to Clinical Pearls. I am your host, Dr. Allison Jones, and I'm joined by a very enthusiastic co-host today, The Great Gatsby. We are gonna be talking about animal-assisted therapy and we are so fortunate to have some wonderful guests here with us from Birmingham's Hand and Paw and from UAB Hospital. Kirsten, I'd like to start with you, if you could please introduce yourself. Sure. My name
1: is Kirsten Atkinson, and I'm the Director of Volunteers and Programs at Hand and Paw. We are an animal-assisted therapy organization that was formed or founded in 1996 by Beth Franklin, and this is my dog, Bindi.
0: Well, it's wonderful to have you both. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Meredith, how about you?
2: Hey everyone, I'm Meredith Guthrie. I am the Nursing Professional Development Specialist for the Trauma and Burn ICU here at UAB.
0: Thank you for joining us. And then we have two volunteers I'd like to introduce. Uh, first is Pam.
3: Hi, I'm Pam Strange and I am a team handler for Hand and Paw and have been since 2013. And with me are my therapy dogs. This is Niblet and asleep here is Mailey. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it looks very cozy. And then we have Amy.
4: <laughs> Hi, my name is Amy Hamilton and this is Buddy. He's a 10 year old Havanese and we've been volunteering with Hand and Paul since 2013 when Buddy was three years old.
0: Wonderful, thank you all for being here. Um, Kirsten, I wonder if you could start us off by just telling a little bit about what animal assisted therapy is.
1: Sure. So animal assisted therapy is a therapeutic intervention that incorporates animals, most commonly dogs and cats into uh, more traditional, traditional treatment plans. Animals provide a sense of calm and comfort and divert attention away from stressful or painful situations. Just the simple act of petting animals creates an automatic relaxation response. It lowers our heart rate and our blood pressure, it decreases anxiety, and enhances healing and recovery. So the basis for animal assisted therapy is positive patient response to improve mental and physical health.
0: Both of those are so important. And I understand that there's a difference between animal assisted therapy and animal assisted activities. Could you clarify that for us?
1: Absolutely. So, animal assisted therapy is very goal oriented. Um, It is a documented therapeutic intervention that is overseen by a healthcare professional. So, an example of animal assisted therapy would be working with a a physical therapist. So, our wonderful uh, hand and paw teams would work with a physical therapist um, with patients and say, we have a client that needs to increase their range of motion by brushing a dog. So a treatment plan is then created by that physical therapist and the progress is measured and documented over a a set period of time. And with animal assisted activities, these are activities that are a little uh, more casual and less structured. Um, They're delivered in a variety of environments with our uh, hand and paw teams, such as nursing homes, uh, colleges, and also hospitals but specific treatment goals aren't set for these visits. Um, However, they they still provide a wonderful opportunity for motivation, uh, recreation, diversion, and really work to enhance quality of life while promoting positive emotions from our clients.
0: Thank you. Uh, Pam and Amy, I wonder if you could give us some examples of things that you do with patients when you take um, these pets into the clinical setting.
3: Absolutely, Um, we visit at Children's and UAB and at Children's for example, we visit the hematology oncology clinic every Thursday and um, Niblet is my dog who goes with me there and typically she will sit with the patients while they're having their therapy. We visit in room, we visit in the lobby um, she has quite the following there at children's in that clinic um, we also visit at uab we visit um, do a lot with the special care unit and icu at children's and just to see the difference that she can make by walking in the room is phenomenal let alone we've had situations to where a child was so anxious and just could not calm down and once the dog or was set with her her blood pressure dropped dramatically and they were able to do the treatment that the child was fighting so desperately.
0: That's wonderful. Um, Amy, how about you? Do you have any any special stories that stand out for you?
4: Oh, well, every day brings a different story. And um, we also yeah. visit children's. We started there from the beginning. Um, in 2013 at the oncology and hematology also. So we would see the kids that were there getting their weekly treatments um, or getting labs done. And it's stressful for everybody, for the family, for the kids, um, and it's just an anxious time. And so to provide that distraction, um, some days it's more for the parents, some days it's you know for the actual patient And a lot of times it's for the staff um because they need it too they need a little loving from these fur babies to uh deal with what they handle every day um so um one particular day there was a young man that we were visiting out in the lobby um, while he was waiting to be called back and he happened to be a patient that had down syndrome and was being treated Um, for cancer at the time, and um, this was at Children's, but he was a teen, so he was physically large, and he would get very, very anxious about having his port accessed. Um, And in the past, they had always had to restrain him. It would take several of the staff to do it, plus his parents. Um, And it, it was just a very upsetting ordeal for everyone, for the staff, the parents, but it had to be done. And on this particular day, we went to the back to his exam room with him, And, um, he loved buddy from visiting in the lobby. And so, um, I sat with him on the table right next to him, put buddy between us and he held buddy's paw and it just calmed this young man down enough to where he could be accessed. Um, without restraints, he he stayed calm um, and they were able for the first time to perform that procedure in a calm manner, which was a win for everyone, for the parents, for the staff. So they eventually changed his regular clinic day to be the day that Buddy was there, which at that time it was every Monday um and his doctors changed him to mondays because it helped him so much to deal with the treatments he was going through
0: that sounds like it made a very profound impact on that family which is fantastic um kirsten can you tell us the range of clinical areas that these pets go into
1: sure so um at children's and at uab we have what we call clinic champions that, um, that help us advocate for visits. We do inpatient visits, um, we do lobby visits. Um, oftentimes we have special requests from the nursing staff to visit with um, specific patients. And um, we've done inpatient hospice visits as well. So as long as we have um, someone in that clinical site that will Sort of lead the visit then um, we generally are able to find a team that can visit with them so um, we also visit with schools and do literacy support so it's not just in hospitals um, and also nursing homes which is a wonderful place to visit um, for when you have more isolated individuals that um, are no longer able to be around their animals say like they would at home um, so we we have lots of community partners across central Alabama, and now we've expanded to Tuscaloosa. So uh, we're working really hard out there to uh, form more program partners. Um, So it's pretty exciting.
0: So we have a question from the audience that I wonder if you could help us address, which is do providers need to order pet therapy sessions or can nurses or other therapy services initiate pet therapy? And Meredith might be able to weigh in on this as well.
2: Okay, Um, for us, we can, and the nurses can put in a referral for it, for pet therapy, Uh, but it is always a good idea to get the providers um, feedback on whether they think it's a good idea or not, because there are some um, limitations if they are on contact precautions, so if they have an infectious disease, Um, If they have a special kind of line, like for us in the trauma and burn ICU, we decided, excuse me, anybody with a central line, um, it would be too big of a risk. So we wouldn't do it for those patients. Um, Large open wounds that couldn't be covered. So sometimes you need your provider team. I always think it's good to collaborate with the entire team so that they can all weigh in on it.
0: Absolutely. And speaking of collaboration, I understand that you worked very closely within your unit to facilitate some animal assisted therapy. Can you tell us about that project?
3: I
2: would love to, thank you. So this was back uh, in 2016. Uh, I was no longer working in TBICU as a staff nurse, but prior to that, I had worked there for about 10 years. And um, so I already had an idea of uh, some of the opportunities for improvement within that unit. And I was going through my clinical nurse leader program at UAB School of Nursing. Um, There's a little plug for School of Nursing. Uh, But I was doing my assessment, my microsystem assessment on the trauma and burn ICU to see what areas of improvement were. And there was a gap in the staff's ability to provide emotional well-being interventions, Um, interventions to improve the emotional state and mental well-being of the ICU patient. Um, and then, you know, also we didn't have a lot of stress relief or emotional well-being, um, burnout interventions, um, readily available for staff. So that was kind of my side project on there. Anyways, we did pet therapy or animal assisted therapy at UAB, but historically we did not do it within the ICUs. Uh, there wasn't policy that supported this or evidence that supported that it was a danger to the patients. I think it was just sort of, um, just a, so and so says no, so we don't do it with no real evidence backing it. So I worked with our medical director at the time and the nursing leadership along with guest services uh, to create a process for us to do animal assisted therapy within the ICUs. Um, Did some training with the staff because it's not that complex of an intervention. You just have to ensure that you've got the right patient selected um, that it'll be safe for the patient and you need to have somebody on the unit that is trained to walk around with the volunteer Which really just means is everybody safe? Is this patient safe or, or the volunteers safe as well? Um, so I worked with the nursing staff on the unit the provider staff and guest services and came up with a process and uh, educated the staff I did um, a pre-survey on the staffs. Uh, it was the Maslach burnout inter- um, survey to see their level of burnout according to that, um, that tool. And then I um, had the intervention for six weeks. We had four teams that would come up two to four times a week uh, and do pet therapy at different times, um, animal-assisted therapy, excuse me. And we would I would go in and select the patients, run it by the provider team, make sure it was okay, get everything in the computer orders or referrals that we needed. And then I would do a uh, pre-intervention interview with the patient or the family member and get a baseline. And then I would do it afterwards also um, to see if we had an improvement, which we knew we would, the evidence supported it. Um, We just needed to make sure we didn't have any patient safety um, issues. And then they would also, the staff would get a benefit when these teams would come on. And we had lots of great, wonderful stories. Um, Buddy was one of our dogs that would come up on the unit. Um, and we've had patients that were able to come out of um, sedation, off of their restraints, um, increase their pain. Um, so, pain, anxiety, and well being were our biggest focuses. And we saw um, miraculous results in that some quantitative, and some just qualitative um so at the end we also did another interview for the staff the same um, burnout interview and we had improvements in that as well so we knew the the data was going to support us we just needed to um, to prove it so that we could tell other icus that we did this here in our area and you can do it in yours as well Um, so my goal was achieved my staff got something great out of it and then I was asked to do a presentation to some leadership afterwards here at UAB. And I did, and I was um, encouraged to apply for an innovation grant, which we did, and we received that. And so we used that money to train extra teams because that was a barrier for Hand and Paw as they didn't have enough teams to supply us with what would be the huge demand at UAB. So we wanted to try it in another area that didn't routinely do animal assisted therapy for patients or the staff at all. And so we did this in the emergency department and we got the same results. It was great. Um, I think I may have gotten more out of it without the pets, just from the feedback from the staff um, on it. So it's been pretty incredible. I think uh, TBICU won an award recently from Hand and Paw. And now I'm back here at at TBICU. So we're re-implementing the program It looks a little different right now because it has to be done virtually. And today will be our first day to have virtual pet therapy with Sparto. Uh, He's a German Shepherd and his handler, his name is John. And I'll be wheeling around, our there they are. I'll be wheeling them around on our big computer on wheels. Uh, We did a trial run yesterday. And just from the few staff that got to see them on the trial run, because they weren't big believers in virtual therapy, um, they got, they got some of the same type of release. Um, so I'm pretty excited to see that happen today.
0: That is fantastic. I tell you that, you know, as a former ER trauma nurse, my shifts would have been much more delightful with some animal assisted therapy for sure. And I think you just touched on um, our audience question, but so to confirm you are able to do some virtual animal assisted therapy with COVID precautions in place. Is that right? Yes.
2: Yes. Actually, I saw something on a social media platform with Pam and Mailey and Niblett doing some, and I thought, oh my goodness, we've got to get this. I mean, I think it's no secret that our healthcare providers are stretched right now um, and under a lot more stress than normal. We have new nurses that just graduated this summer that are out here working in of what i've seen is the most stressful environment on a civilian side um, in my entire career so um, yes we figured out a way to do it i think it might even be easier than actual um, animal assisted therapy and so hopefully this will get the word out and so more of our nurses can have this right now because we need it now more than ever
0: Uh, we have another question from the audience uh, and pam maybe you could answer this for us do you have hypoallergenic pets for those
3: with allergies? Um, we do not. I don't think, and Kirsten, you can you can jump in on this one as well. It has not been something that we are selective as far as a dog can't, we don't have that kind of dog in our program just for that purpose. We do have a lot of golden doodles and poodles that are your hypoallergenic breeds. But as far as special requests, has not been done to my knowledge. Who knows in the future?
0: Kirsten, anything to add to that?
1: Well, I think um, one thing that we do ask our teams to do, we we have a very rigorous uh, preparation process for visiting in person. So um, our therapy teams groom their animals just amazingly before they go on a visit. So they are sparkling clean um so a lot of that maybe dander or hair isn't present um that may be in um a dog that maybe isn't as um taken care of i guess as as our dogs but we do require them to be bathed their ears cleaned their nails trimmed everything 24 hours in advance of a visit and i believe that really cuts down on the amount of dander um that would be present at a visit to cause that allergic response of course if you have someone that is you know, extremely allergic, we are not able to visit. Um, But hypoallergenic has not been a requirement up to this point. We just have very uh, rigorous standards for visiting. So that includes this infection control.
0: So do the pets need to be a certain age before you can use them as therapy animals?
1: Yes, we do have some prerequisites. Um, We do ask that they be 18 months or older. And this just allows um, us to work with a dog who's matured a little bit. Some breeds, there's a longer period of puppyhood, uh, so we say. So it's a little bit easier when you have a dog that's 18 months or older. We do ask that um, they live with the owner for at least six months. So, you start forming a bond um, as a team. And we also ask that you do group obedience. Um, And group obedience is important because you may be visiting in a group, first of all, um, but it's also a great time to start bonding as uh, teammates. So, we want you to um, have all of the basics down before you come and uh, learn how to be an animal assisted therapy team. So getting those prerequisites out of the way is always a great idea. And then we do a screening to make sure that your animal is suitable for animal assisted therapy because we're really looking for these dynamic dogs that um, are just irresistible and seek attention when you go out in public and aren't shy. Um, I think that's a great example that, that uh, the dog in the photo has lots of hands on and lots of petting and that's what happens. Um, So dogs that aren't going to shy away from that sort of attention um, and also be able to go into different environments, uh, schools or hospitals, um, some hospital lobbies and hallways. There's lots of noises and distractions. So we want dogs that um, aren't going to react to that. And we have cats, Um, that's Phantom. And um, Phantom is just extraordinary, again, looking for this magic temperament that um, is able to go into sort of any situation um, and just be calm and cool and collected and uh, love to be petted. And that's, that's just the magic of um, an animal assisted therapy dog um, and the handler as well. You know, we love uh, wonderful people that can just go into an unknown situation and make everyone feel comfortable. Um, So you really have the person side of that leash too, um, that really loves people and is able to uh, visit with people that maybe are having a little bit of a hard time. Um, and certainly Pam and Amy can speak to that experience, um, but you, know, you don't know what you're dealing with sometimes when you're walking into um, a hospital room and um, you certainly have to be prepared for sort of any situation. So the handler, too, has to really be phenomenal as well. We ask that it be a well-rounded team.
0: Well, that makes sense. Um, Can you or maybe Amy can give us some um, some history on how you got involved with Hand and Paw and what kind of training you and Buddy went through before you could actually enter um, enter into some of these settings.
4: Absolutely. Um, when we first found out about Hand and Paw, my husband and I um, heard about it when we were on the sidelines of one of our son's soccer games when he was oh, he's in college now. But this was back when he was about six years old. And one of the teammates um, had a little brother that was on the sidelines with us and started telling us about he had, um, had an experience of going through cancer treatment at Children's here in Birmingham. And at the time, I think this little boy was about four or five. And he started telling us about these amazing dogs that would be there and helped him through. And when he would have a procedure um, that when he'd go into the operating room, there'd be a dog there with him on the table. And when he'd wake up, the dog was still there. He thought the dog was through the whole surgery with them. Didn't, he didn't know they brought him back in and recovery, but it really helped to calm him down and not be as anxious about what he was going through. And we later talked to his parents and they raved about how much it helped their son and the whole family deal with um, what they were having to go through at that time, Just knowing that their son was okay and calmed down by this pet. And so we said at that time, if we ever got a dog, we wanted to check into it. So a couple of years later, we did adopt Buddy and it just so happened that he was a wonderful candidate for um, animal assisted therapy, just his temperament was right. and. Um, we took him to basic obedience and went through that process. I think at the time, this was several years ago, hand and pause process was a little bit longer. It took us many months at that time to go through the screening and the workshops. Um, but just to prepare us to know what to expect and how to handle the sif- different situations. Um, and to help know that Buddy was okay in different situations um, and different things he might encounter in different environments. We did have to visit some places like some schools and things like that before we were eligible to visit hospitals, which is a higher level of volunteering with them. So when we decided we were interested in going to UAB and Children's, we also had to go through their volunteer process of being interviewed and um, badge through their volunteer program in addition to being approved by Hand and Paul. So um, it was a big commitment, but it is worth every minute of it. And we've never had a day where we left one of our volunteer situations and didn't feel like it was worth every second of what we do to prepare each time we visit um, and we get so much out of it.
0: Yeah, it certainly sounds that way. Um, Pam, I wonder if you might be able to share one of the most impactful moments that you remember in visiting with a patient or with a client?
3: Wow. <laughs> There's so- you know, and I can think about it and I can get really emotional just trying to pick one out because every everyone is so special and we've been blessed to be able to make a difference in some people's lives and they definitely made a difference in ours. I guess one of the most, um, if I go back, and this was actually in the trauma unit at UAB with Maylee, and we were asked to visit a young man who we were warned was nonverbal, that he was autistic. Um, but they wanted to see how he would react to Maylee when we walked into the room and um, lo and behold, he had a pug shirt on, so that kind of let us know that things were going to be okay. And um, he didn't have much to say. He looked at her, and Mailey, I don't know if you can hear now, but she's known for She's very verbal, and she hums, and she talks to people, and right now she's asleep, and she's snoring. And we had gone in the room, and we had four or five of the staff members in there because they were very anxious to see how um, this gentleman was going to respond to her. and. Bailey started as he started to pet and they helped him pet her. And as he started to pet, Bailey started to hum, which is something that she does and she's known for. And after about five minutes, he started to hum with her in unison with her. And I can tell you there wasn't a dry eye in the room. Um, it just, you know, animals have such a way of communicating that we as humans don't. Um, through a touch and just through their sound. And I think about that so often because we do visit a lot of nonverbal patients and to see the bridge that forms between the dog and the patient and the patient's family is just um, surreal. Surreal.
0: It's It gets me a little bit emotional to think about it as well, I, both from the family aspect and the caregiving aspect. Thank you for sharing that um and meredith you mentioned earlier about how this impacted the staff and i wondered do you have a specific instance that comes to mind
2: i do um and this is sort of the one that just comes every time because it was so clear that this is the right thing to do and we've got to do this more so we had uh, a basset hound that was one of um, a team of actually two basset hounds and a handler, but this one was McGee and um, Agent Special Agent McGee, and he was up on the unit seeing some patients. And there had been a code situation um, where uh, you know a patient's needing CPR and things like that. And the nurse came out of there. His name is Ethan. I hope he's watching. And he came out of there and was able. McGee was standing right there, and he was able to go to McGee and um, they had their time together and he came up to me afterwards and said how he had never had a situation where he comes out of a situation like that and is able to deal with his feelings in that moment and transition back to providing care to the other patients Um, because you know those of us that are healthcare workers we know that we have to go from an incredibly emotional situation back to having a smiling face for somebody else, or, you know, we have to really flux a lot. And this allowed that transition to happen and allowed him to deal with that in the moment as opposed to maybe taking it home or bringing it to the next shift or the next time there's a code. Um, So that was really amazing to me and it touched my heart that we were able to help in the moment for that. Um, And it just allows a release of emotions. You know, just yesterday I'm wheeling the cart around um, just doing our trial run. And, you know, I thought one of the nurses was going to tear up just because the dog allows or cat, whatever it is going to be, allows those emotions to come through. And God, we have a lot of emotions as nurses or as healthcare workers. So being able to deal with them in that moment and allowing a safe non-judgmental space for it is really amazing.
0: Absolutely. Oh, I couldn't agree with that more. Um, It's so meaningful to have the opportunity to release those emotions, and you know I wonder, do the animals feel that as well? Do they, do they feel that kind of impact from being involved in those situations? And Kirsten, I wonder, could you speak to that, please?
1: sure i think absolutely they do like um pam was saying we have this incredible connection to our animals and they feel everything that we're feeling and what others are feeling um the human animal bond is is just an incredible thing and um i think our our teams really speak to those experiences um one thing we do with our uh, visits is limit them to two hours because we know that we need to be our animals advocate. And if we're putting too much stress on them, um, they really, you know, that really takes away from what they're doing. So um, we also make sure that we're protecting them a little bit because we don't want them to um, absorb all of this as well, just as you do. So we do put a limitation on our visiting to two hours um, just for that purpose. Um, but, you, you know, we hear these stories all the time from our teams and these incredible experiences. Um, and, you know, until you see it happen and see that magic, it's sort of hard to explain. Um, but once you you see it and feel it, it it's just unbelievable. And you see the good um, that can happen. Um, just from a 10, 15 minute visit, it's like the stress just melts away. Um, not only from the patient, but from, Uh, the siblings maybe in the room that have been isolated as well in a hospital environment with their families, Um, the parents that are under a tremendous amount of stress. Um, So, um, you know, the benefits just compound themselves, which is, it's incredible.
0: Are there some resources that you can provide for our audience if people are interested in either um, becoming part of a team or engaging with Hand hand and Paw or Anything that you might find helpful?
1: Absolutely. We have a wonderful website, um, www.handandpaw.org. Um, there we are. That's the COVID unit that uh, Pam was able to visit with Maylee. Um, there is a wonderful roadmap on how to become a volunteer with Hand and Paw. There's also a media page and that has lots of YouTube videos. So it shows you really the visits that um, we do in the community. So it's a really good place to start. Um, Just really poke around on the the volunteer page, um, give us a shout, our email addresses are on there. You can ask questions, Um, but I would just start there and fill out an application. We're always looking for new teams.
0: Good. And then Meredith, for people who might be within a hospital setting or even within UAB, um, can they reach out to you to see about how you implemented this on your unit?
2: Absolutely. Um, I can definitely tell them how we did our process. I can tell you every unit's process will probably look a little different. Um, And then our guest services is the area that it runs through. So most Most hospitals have a volunteer coordinator or guest services, and that's probably where they would start. But for here at UAB, I would love to share our information.
0: Thank you. And then one last question for you all. Do you work um, at all with home health or within the VA system? Um, Kirsten, I'll, I'll throw that to you.
1: We do not currently work with um, home health just due to liability issues going into someone's home. Um, However, we do have visits at the VA itself in Birmingham.
0: Great. All right. Well, I would love to wrap up by just touching on takeaways that each one of you might have. Amy, could you start us off? Um,
4: Yes, I guess. the. biggest thing for me is that you never know how you're going to impact someone on any given day, um, and sometimes the most moving experiences come in the unexpected. Um, our unit that we visit at UAB is the high-risk OB unit. And a lot of people would think, oh, it's, you know, pregnancy, the women are on bed rest, Um, you know, how much impact can you have there? But at UAB, that unit is one of the higher levels and there's only a certain number of those in the whole country, which means that the women that come to the one at UAB come from all over because they need a certain level of care. And um, so a lot of them are from out of state or, you know, different parts of Alabama and they're away from their families. They're away from their other children while they're here. And many are um, here for months, months at a time until they deliver. So, um, So we visit those women who may be missing their families, their pets, Um, their loved ones can only come maybe on the weekends to see them. So their weeks and days get very long and seeing Buddy come in and give them some love, helps them get through a day, a week, a month. They look forward to seeing him, they get to know him. Um, And I guess one of the most impactful experiences on that unit would be one day we went into a woman's room and she unfortunately had given birth that morning to a stillborn child and so she was grieving but it was even more complicated because she she, um, only spoke spanish and so there was a huge language barrier between the staff and and us with our visit and we went in and she sat with buddy even though we couldn't verbally communicate with her very well because of um the language but she just sat in the rocking chair and rocked buddy for about 15 minutes and was able to get some comfort from this little baby um after losing her child and that helped her start to grieve and work through some things and gave her some comfort at that moment. And and I guess that was eye opening to me that even at a place where you don't see as much trauma on that unit, um, things usually hopefully end up in a happy scenario that Buddy could make such a difference on that day with that woman. And it just meant a, a lot to everyone that was involved.
0: Absolutely. Oh, what a touching story. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Pam, what would your takeaway be?
3: I think that my takeaway is that um, we're exposed to a lot of different emotions through that therapy. I think that we, Someone asked me not too long ago about why I did this and why I gave so much of my life as a volunteer to Hand and Paw. And I guess my takeaway would be for everyone is we just want to make it better. If it's for a second, for five minutes, for an hour, for just to walk in the room and see a smile, if we've made it better, then we've done exactly what we set out to do.
0: Sure, well, you've definitely made my day better by bringing all of your friends on here. <laughs> um, Meredith, what's your takeaway?
2: My key takeaway is this is doable. Um, once you get the process laid out, it's not that hard to implement. The hardest part is you know, the time that it's gonna take for you to walk away from your desk and walk around that unit, but it is worth it more than probably anything else on my job. Cause like Pam said, and like Amy said, you never know who you're gonna impact. And it, the goal is to make it better, no matter how long it is. And there has never been a time that I feel that this has not made it better. So it's worth it, let's do it.
0: Thank you. And Kirsten, your takeaway. My takeaway
1: is, you know, at the heart of our mission, we are a human services organization and heading into this next year, We have the opportunity to really help a lot of people. Um, There is a large community out there that uh, needs us. And as soon as we can train more teams and and get back out there safely, we will do it. So um, hop on our website, have a look at the prerequisites um, and really see if you have what it takes to, to be a hand and paw therapy team and spread that love and comfort. It is absolutely essential at this point um, and our teams, you'll just hear the stories over and over about how impactful um, their volunteering is. And it's just one of the most wonderful organizations to work for. Um, and I'm so proud of what our volunteers do every day.
0: Well, I just want to express my thanks to all of you for not only taking the time to be here with us today, but for the, for the important work that you do and the smiles that you bring to people, it's just amazing, and I applaud you for it. So it looks like that's all of the time that we have for today's Clinical Pearls. Thank you so much for joining us, and be sure to see us again next time. Thanks for listening to Clinical Pearls from the UAB School of Nursing Health Network. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. This podcast is also available in video form at youtube.com forward slash c forward slash nursing network.